You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. The views and opinions expressed by Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates.
The third through the fourth will prove that any root crops that can be planted during these periods will do well. Also, the fourth will have fair fishing conditions in the morning hours, moving to good conditions on the morning hours of the fifth. Today's highlight in history comes to us from 1991, when on this date, motorist Rodney King was severely beaten by Los Angeles police officers in a scene captured on amateur video. Also on this date, in 1845, Florida became the 27th state. In 1849, the U.S. Department of the Interior was established. In 1913, more than 5,000 suffragettes marched down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., a day before the presidential inauguration of Woodrow Wilson. In 1923, Time Magazine founder Britton Hayden and Henry R. Luke made its debut. In 1931, the Star-Spangled Banner became the national anthem of the United States as President Herbert Hoover signed a congressional resolution. In 1934, bank robber John Dillinger escaped from the Lake County Jail in Crown Point, Indiana, along with another prisoner, Herbert Youngblood. In 1945, the Allies fully secured the Philippine capital of Manila from Japanese forces during World War II. In 1959, the United States launched the Pioneer 4 spacecraft, which flew by the moon, and comedian Lou Costello died in East Los Angeles three days before his 53rd birthday. In 1966, death claimed actor William Frawley at age 79. And in 1985, coal miners in Britain voted to end a year-long strike that proved to be the longest and most violent walkout in British history. Our LMC birthday greetings go out today to singer-musician Mike Pender of The Searchers, who is 75. Movie producer-director George Miller is 71. Actress Hattie Winston is also 71. Singer-musician Robert Hitchcock is 63. Actor Robert Gossett is 62. Rock musician John Lilly is also 62. Actress Miranda Richardson is 58 today. Rapper Lil Flip is 35. Actress Jessica Biel, 34. And rock musician Blower of Hinder is 32. Our thought from the day comes from Daniel J. Borston, educator and librarian of Congress, born 1914, died 2004, who said, nothing is really real unless it happens on television. This has been the news from the LMC Radio Newsroom, and we now turn you over to Professor Porterfield and the Lucky Numbers. Lucky number, oh, dreaming of lucky numbers, hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only go for you and me. Superstition, or even make me suspicious. Table with thirteen dishes, it will make me. 
that garment, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, open it. Put my trust in goo for dust. Cause you know some days may bring you a seven. Or oh, maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, that's you in heaven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, yes. And before we get to the lucky numbers, we also want to send out a big birthday greetings to our air members, Apollo Dark, whose birthday was two days ago on the 1st, and Aunt Cindy Toto, whose birthday will be on the 6th. We hope that they had and have a wonderful birthday. This week's lucky numbers come to us, as always, from ProfessorPorterfield.com. Why not stop on by and take a look? And they are 14, 19, 33, 44, 47, and 50. Once again, those numbers are 14, 19, 33, 44, 47, and 50. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are 194, that's 194, 333, that's 333, and 474, that's 474. And I have to tell you, that 474 is particularly lucky right now. The card of the week this week from to th this Thursday till next Thursday is the Ace of Diamonds. A gift, optimism, hope, small material things that grow, a seed. Expect a letter or proposal this week and be prepared to optimistically take a chance on a new Venture. Up next, our own Miss Loretta Evans from the First and Second Baptist Church of Quimby, Texas, with Cooking with Miss Loretta. Hello, y'all. This is Miss Loretta Evans, and I'm so happy to be back with you. Today, I'm going to talk to you about something that a lot of us have in our kitchens but almost never use. That's right. I'm going to be talking about the waffle iron. Waffle irons are not just for waffles anymore, folks. Now, most things you put between waffle irons will come out waffleized, but that's a good thing. The reason waffle irons are shaped the way they are is to increase the available surface area of the heating surface so it comes into maximum contact with whatever batter or food you are pressing between the iron. This promotes crispness and browning in all the nooks, making the humble waffle iron a versatile kitchen tool. And I have for you tonight a list of eight clever ideas for delicious foods you may not have known you could make in a waffle iron. So get your pens and pencils ready. First of all, sandwiches. A waffle iron makes a terrific grilled cheese sandwich. Brush it with butter or olive oil and close it down over the sandwich. You may not be able to close it completely, though. Keep it there until the cheese is melted and the bread is crispy golden brown. 
sliced bread works best for this. Try filling your waffle sandwiches with prosciutto and provolone or a tomato, smoked turkey and munster, and it also makes a wonderful tuna melt. Muffins, that's right. You can experiment with all kinds of batter in a waffle maker, so why not try muffins or brownies? A few that work really well are corn muffin batter. You can add an onion or jalapeno for a more savory hush puppy style waffle to serve with grilled fish. Banana bread and muffin batter, date nut batter, lemon poppy, and on and on. Also, brownie batter is terrific in a waffle iron, especially if you like crispy edges on your brownies like I do. Imagine a whole waffle of crispy brownie edges topped with vanilla ice cream. Just load the batter into the iron until three-fourths full and cook for six to eight minutes. Also, here's another one, frittatas. You can make a simple Spanish tortilla, which includes chopped onions and potatoes cooked in olive oil, allowed to cool, and mixed with scrambled eggs. Season well with salt and pepper, and then ladle the mixture into your waffle iron. Close and cook until set and lightly brown. You can then add cheese, meats, and all kinds of veggies to your frittata mixtures, or try to make a Denver omelet with ham, bell pepper, onions, and some shredded cheddar cheese, or try spinach and feta cheese, even a crustless quiche with bacon, Swiss cheese, and onion. Whisk some light cream in with some eggs and put it right in your waffle iron. Here's one you may not have thought of, corned beef hash. Once you try corned beef hash in a waffle iron, you'll never make it in the skillet again. It probably won't stay together in a perfect waffle shape, but it really depends on the hash you use. Getting the browned hash out of the waffle iron tends to happen in pieces, but it's still delicious and crispy on the outside and tender on the inside. Be sure not to rush it. Let it brown well. It's hard to overcook hash. Hash browns. Another breakfast stable that works so well in a waffle maker that you'll wonder how you ever lived without it. Grease the irons well with oil, butter, or bacon drippings and add shredded potatoes from a bag or grate them yourself and squeeze out as much water as possible. Season with salt and pepper. Add some minced onions if you like. Press in the waffle iron and let it get a rich golden brown. Want an even shorter shortcut? Just add frozen tater tots in a single layer and close the lid. Cook until your potato waffle is crispy. French toast. Continuing with our breakfast theme, try making your French toast in the waffle maker. Soak slices of day-old bread in beaten egg, butter, and hot waffle iron it generously. Then close the egg-soaked bread inside and let it cook. You can dust it with powdered sugar and top with maple sugar, fruit preserves, or whipped cream. Quesadillas. This is one of my family's favorite to make in the waffle iron, and I do it all the time. Add cheese and your favorite fillings to a large flour tortilla. Fold it in half and press until golden brown. It's a great way to use up leftovers. 
and finally I have one tonight that we have made many a time in my house around the holidays and one that I hope our own dear Miss Cat will get a real kick out of, and that's stuffing. Take your favorite stovetop or bag stuffing recipe and press it in a well-buttered waffle maker. Again, this one is for people who fight over the crispy parts. You can serve sliced turkey, gravy, and cranberry sauce on top of your stuffing waffle. Well, there you go, folks. I hope that you will take another look at the regular old waffle iron in your kitchen. Until next week, bye-bye. Thank you, Miss Loretta. I... <clears throat> wow, waffle irons! I had never even—I uh, never even thought about that. Hmm. I—I I don't actually have a waffle iron. Well, I think we have something like a waffle iron as plates that go in and out of. I think it can serve as a waffle iron. But if you have a waffle iron, why not check some of those out? Uh, I think that's a good, pretty good idea. Up next, the professor's pontification. Tonight's topic is a callback to another one, one we've had before. It's called, It's Still Easy to Be Hard.
have got so many cookies to pass out. So many cookies to pass out. First of all, a cookie goes to our own Grand Mufti of Satanism, our own troll towelhead. He, in fact, did identify that this was easy to be hard uh, from hair. A cookie goes to Christy. That's right, Christy, XP, you get a cookie because you, in fact, identified that this is from the movie soundtrack and not the Broadway soundtrack. And then, and then, amazing, two cookies. Two cookies go to Cargo Hook. That's right. It's Cheryl Barnes. You're the first one to get that. Congratulations. Bravo. Well done. Welcome to the Professor's Pontification. Tonight, I am ending my third series of pontifications. Next week, we'll start up our fourth series of pontifications. Tonight, we're going to revisit some ideas generally, but also we're going to get into something a little more specific And there's going to be quite a bit of hat burning in this one tonight, my friends and dear listeners. Tonight I want to talk about a situation in the magical community. It certainly occurs in Hoodoo and Conjure. But it occurs in other magical communities. And I wanted to address how it also occurs amongst spiritual workers, or if you will, magicians. And what I want to talk with you about is this. There is a... a, there's a kind of a unwritten agreement, a gentleman's agreement, if you catch my drift, that goes on in the magical and spiritual communities these days. And that agreement is that none of us are supposed to make Moral judgments. We are supposed to, uh, as the Americans say, take it easy when it comes to moral judgments. We're not supposed to say that there are things that are right and that there are things that are wrong. I don't mean things that are legal and illegal. I mean things that are right and things that are wrong. We're not supposed to get into that. It's all supposed to be free and easy. And I'm closing up this third series of pontifications before I go on to the fourth with this bit of nonsense. Because if you've been listening to, oh, 58 odd weeks of pontification so far, you've probably figured out that I break that rule. You see, there are a set of kind of intellectual games that start around it. 
It's all supposed to be equal. It's all supposed to be equal. It's just a broad level field. Who's to say what's right and who's to say what's wrong? Now, some of that's legitimate. Some of that is legitimate because we exist in a world, in a culture, in a civilization that has been built on a lot of nonsense. You know, there's a lot of pseudo-Victorian brouhaha, you know, from back in the day that said things like, oh, well, if you know, if someone hasn't developed pottery by this particular, the way I think they should have development of their so-called civilization, they're not really civilized, are they? There's been a lot of banding around of what is correct and what is incorrect, what is right and what is wrong, what is proper and what is improper to the benefit of certain people in power at any given time in any given place. And that has happened. And so there is a need for examination about this. But we've taken this examination too goddamn far. We've gotten to the point where it's all fine. It's all okay. Everything's right. Everything's proper. Everything's okie smoky. Particularly if it's part of someone's spirituality. Particularly if it's part of someone's culture. Hey, if it's part of your culture to kill babies, that's okay. That's fine. Who am I to judge? Hey, if rape is a part of your culture, hey, that's all right. That's okay. Who am I to judge? Everything's equal. And this is not 10 pounds of hogwash in a five-pound bag. This is a truck full of hogwash trying to be spooned into a thimble-sized container of hogwash. This is ridiculous, but we see it time and time again. We see people in the magical and spiritual community afraid or wary to publicly speak about moral imperatives, right and wrong, or we see others breaking it down. Someone comes in and says, I can't stand this sort of behavior. This is absolutely incorrect. How can people do this to each other? How is it so easy to be hard? How can people treat? And some wag comes in and starts breaking it down in an intellectual game. Well, but, but, who are we? And isn't it? And what about? And what do you mean? And let's define our terms and define our terms and define those terms of those terms of those terms until we have engaged in such razor-sharp precision of language, thought, and intent that there's no goddamn meaning left. And maybe rape is okay. Maybe killing babies is all right. If we keep playing the intellectual game enough. Maybe they're imperatives. Let me give you an example of this. Someone comes in and says, it's wrong to harm children. Well, it seems like a fairly, you know, straight up kind of statement. 
But somebody comes in and plays the intellectual foggy mountain breakdown on it and says, well, what do you mean by harm? I mean, really, let's define this now. I mean, um, my I have a four-year-old at home, and uh, he wants to eat ice cream all the time, and I don't let him eat ice cream. And when I don't let him eat ice cream at every meal, he cries, he's emotional, he's deeply upset. I've clearly caused him some kind of harm, but that harm had to be done for him for his benefit. So he doesn't need ice cream all the time. So what do we mean by harm? It's it's disingenuous. It's just fucking disingenuous. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. There are currently so many people, so many damn people actively on the payroll of the legal team working as devil's advocates, I I, I, I I would be surprised if if you could even sue the son of a bitch. First of all, first of all, do, does the devil really need this many advocates? I thought he already had a pretty good law team. You know, I figured if anybody had a good law team, it would have been the devil. I figured he probably had a good law team, a lot of good bluesmen, a couple of good rock and roll singers. Opening of a door. See, this door opens both ways. Obviously, obviously, if we engage in broad, generalized speech, that can be misused. Anyone can take it and run with it and turn it into whatever they want to turn it into. So, yes, we must be careful that direction. We do need some clarification of idea, of speech, of intent. We need to know where we're going. But by the same token, this masturbatory minutia, this whittling of hairs until there's nothing left, also opens another set of doors towards destructive potential. It gets to the point where people can start to rationalize wickedness, evil, malignness of spirit, malignancy, and just run with it. Because there are no there's no good. There's no evil. There's no right. There's no wrong. Or Someone will say, yes, of course, there's right and there's wrong, there's good and there's evil, but it's all personal. It's only the individual. There's no collective. And the meaning we get into a collective thing, then we're oppressing somebody. Let me just publicly state right here. And, you know, people may dislike me for this. Oh, well. I'm content. I am absolutely content with oppressing pedophiles. I'm 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 just fine with it. I'm just I'm just fine with it. Won't lose any sleep. You know, won't wince when I have to look in the mirror to brush my teeth in the morning. I'm okay. I'm okay. There are some levels of behavior of actions that we have to be able to agree upon as being right and wrong there has to be if there's not well, then where are we 
do we all have different interpretations? I'm sure. Yeah, of course. We have a variety of different interpretations. When there's nothing, and more importantly, when those who are supposed to be doing spiritual work, who are supposed to be addressing the hearts, souls, spirits, minds, essence of individuals, of people, of groups of people even, are supposed to be helpmates and aides, teachers, become afraid to bring this up. Because, oh, it might destroy me. You know, I mean, I'll go out of business. I mean, they'll they'll run me out of town on a rail. Where are we? What are you? What service are you doing? You're just saying it's all free and easy. It's all free and easy. You know, what we end up with is we end up with workers in the hoodoo and conjure community who have no limit. They have no limit. You got the money, honey, they've got the time. That's it. That's all they're interested in. I'm not saying they're charlatans. I'm not suggesting that they're not actually good workers. I'm not suggesting they don't actually do the work. I'm not in any way saying the work doesn't even have effectiveness or or, or bring about the outcome that the client desired. I'm saying it's all equal. Walk in the door. We're here 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, as long as you've got money in your hand, you know, or can make a check out to our church. That's the church of, uh, that's the Church of All Saints Hope. Just use the anagram C A S H when you make the check out to us. We'll do whatever you want. That's it. Blind, deafen, kill, destroy. Anybody for any reason, tie up, tie down, tie to, take away will, do whatever. You will do it, baby. All you got to do is have your MasterCard in hand because there's no right. There's no wrong. It's all equal. It's all equal. And we've spoken about this a little bit on the show before. And there's another, there's another way this comes in, and that is – we talked once about nitty-gritty and not-so-pretty, and it's a reflection of what I'm about to talk about now. Get ready. Here we go. There is this image, and I see it all the time. I mean, I see it daily in the magical communities that an enlightened magician an enlightened spiritual individual, a worker, whatever they're into, whatever they're into, ceremonial magic, kimbanda, hoodoo, you name it, you name it, uh, it reading the intros of crows on the state house steps, whatever they're into, that only those who are able to reject the fetters, chains, of the moral boundaries set by society are truly free and truly enlightened and truly powerful. The real magician, the real worker, the real power broker are those who will do anything 
because they are no longer bound by the fettering chain of lies put upon them by others, because they are the free man, the free woman. And if that means that you've got to rob a grave, well, where's the harm? If that means you need infants fat for your flying ointment, well, that's the way it's done. And only those who dare can seize power. (laughs) I see this on an almost daily basis. People are real turned on by it. I mean, and I mean that phrase quite the way I used it, turned on. I mean, it's almost like, you know, a fetish. This idea of of being uh, unbound, unchained, of having no limits, of everything being possible. And let me just tell you exactly how I feel about that. A, it frightens the shit out of me, which, by the way, makes those people chuckle and enjoy that because that's part of it. That's part of the power trip. You know, they love that. You know, because if I'm afraid of them, then obviously they have power. Well, I guess I should fucking walk around with a loaded shotgun 24 fucking 7 because then wouldn't I have the power? And and interestingly enough, I live in Texas. I might be able to get away with it. So that's the first response I have to it. It it it, it frightens me. It gives me more white and gray goddamn hairs. And my second response is to want to tell those people to go fuck themselves. Seriously, go go fuck yourself. If that's your power, if that's your if that's your your place you're coming out of, if that's the the bedrock, the cornerstone upon which you are built, I I hope that your temple falls down very quickly. Do not come to me and talk to me about freedom of the individual, about will, about being unfettered, about being open, about having your eyes clear and your mind expanded, when you have the blood of infants on your hands. I You can go. I don't give a shit. And I don't care what your culture says, and I don't care where you're coming from, and I don't care what your spirituality lays down, and I, I don't give a shit. You have the blood of children on your hands, helpless children. You're not a magician. You're a murderer. If your power, if your freedom, if your exaltation of will and control over others means that you rape others, beat others, kill others, not for any particular reason except that you have the power, I, on a regular basis, basis see this going on and I have to tell you 
that simultaneously, I see all these people who support Trump as an example. And these enlightened, free, masters of their will, magicians and spiritual workers, etc., talk, you know, like like I do about these people that support Trump, you know, how awful and how terrible and blah, 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 except you're of the same goddamn ilk. The only difference is that you're a mob of one, but you're still engaging in mob rule. You're so free of all these constraints that you'll do anything. How can anyone trust you? Why should anyone trust you? Why should anyone deal with you? I apologize. I don't normally get very emotional in these. You know, I mean, I come in, I've got my prepared little thing. This this one really gets under my skin, folks. This one really gets under my skin. That there are people who are willing to do anything in the name of their religion, their magic, their spirituality, their path, their freedom. Anything. There's no constraint. And they publish books, and people gobble them up and seek them out and travel through jungles to get to see them and go on long voyages. They're celebrities. People eat it up, sound like hotcakes. They want it. The darker, the spookier, the more forbidden. Actually, let's just call it Exactly what it is, the more transgressive. That's the word. Write it down. Keep it on a slip of paper. That's what Professor Porterfield was talking about tonight. Transgression. The more transgressive it is, the more attractive it is. Does that mean that I am saying that there should never be any social transgression? No. Transgression sometimes gets you great things. The transgression of my parents' generation allows me to go into libraries and check out any book I want, allows me to wear any colored shirt I want, allows me to have long hair and walk down the street and not get the shit kicked out of me, allows me to think, to feel, and to do many things that were not allowed prior to the generation of my parents' transgression. But I'm not talking about appropriate transgression. I'm not talking about a quest for true freedom. I'm not talking about trying to actually not be oppressed. I'm talking about transgression for transgression's sake. Find the most forbidden thing and do the most forbidden thing, and thus you are now the freest. And it's a spooky, dark, goddamn rabbit hole, as far as I can tell. And there are people who judge themselves better than me because I won't go down such a rabbit hole. There are people who say that they are more potent, more powerful than I because they will do such things. And I want to address that right now. If you are 
if your transgressive acts, for the sake of transgressive acts, if you're just bulldozing of every single kind of convention that is held between humans about what is and what is not just acceptable for us as people, actually has made you potent, actually has made you powerful. You actually have all the magical power that there is to have in the whole goddamn universe. I still don't care, and I still defy you, because you still have, at least metaphorically speaking, the blood of infants on your hands, and I don't care. Power does not excuse you. The will to power, the will to power, got over 10 million people killed, 6 million of them at least mine. That's what the will to power gets you. Donald Trump gets you. And that's what this sort of action gets you. The will to power. The triumph of Seville. And that's where you're going. I don't really have a great wrap-up for this. I don't really have a, you know, a cute, kind of ebullient little Professor Porterfield wrap-up on this so we can all walk away chuckling. You know? At the end of the day, you're going to transgress. These people, they're just going to transgress to transgress, and they're going to be oh so cool about it. They're going to go to movies and adore movies in which infants get pounded into you know mulch with logs because there are talking goats in it, and they think that's cool. They're just going to do their trip. They're just going to wander around and be Mr. Big Stuff. Oh, yeah. 
A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. Do everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to build up, a time to break down, a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. Do everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time of love, a time of hate, a time of war, a time of peace, a time you may embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose. Under heaven, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time of love, a time of hate, a time of peace. I swear it's not too late. Do everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn, turn. And the time to every purpose under heaven. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And the time to every purpose under heaven. Yeah, 
you're going to end up using the Bible. That's the way that is. Meaning, if you want to eliminate the Bible, you don't want to have any kind of, you know, scriptural text in there. You don't want to have any kind of spiritual text in there. You just want to not do that. You want to just use it. just magic. I just want the magic. I don't want anything else. You're you're kind of screwed. I'm just going to be honest with you here. Because what's going to happen is you're going to time and 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 time again come across a piece of work. Authentic, good old-fashioned, back-in-the-day, time-tested work. And in it, there's going to be something like this. Mixed together in this proportion, the following things. Grind it up. Put it in a handkerchief. Put it in a paper bag. Scatter it outside the house. Put it in your man's underwear. Put it in your underwear. Put it in somebody's shoe. Put it on somebody's walkway, someplace they'll walk over it. Throw it at them as they're walking away. Throw it at them as they're coming towards you. Put it in a bottle with pins and needles. Put it in a bottle and throw it in the ocean. Put it in a bottle and throw it in the river. Put it in a bottle and bury it under the front doorstep. And that seems all well and good to you because, oh, kick ass, that's what you want. But then there's going to be a part of it that says, and while you do, while you mix whatever's together or bring whatever together, say X portion of the Bible. Sometimes Psalms, not always Psalms, but often Psalms. When you dispose of it, place it, do whatever you're going to do with it, throw it in the river, whatever, say this, pray that. It can be as common and regular and everyday as the 23rd Psalm, which is good for everything. And yet, 23rd Psalm. It can be even simpler. It can simply be, and you will see this so many times, that if you were to shake a stick at it while suffering from palsy, you could not shake a stick at it enough. And then say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Every once in a while, you'll find somebody back in the day that was obviously Catholic, and they'll say, say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's there. And it's part of the Bible. And it's part of, in general, Protestant Christianity. And if you want to do your root work, your hoodoo without it, then you're taking something out. In other words, let me put it to you this way. Let's say that you did not like, you're not allergic, you just don't like the scent of the five Asiatic grasses. You can go and find out what those Asiatic grasses are on your own. Uh, here, I'll get you started. Lemongrass. Now, you go get the other four. He doesn't like them. didn't like them. I don't like them. You weren't allergic. There wasn't an ecological issue like, oh, Asiatic grasses are, you know, becoming extinct. You know, there wasn't a thing about, you know, uh, their migrant workers being held in indentured servitude or slavery to gather them. You know, just you just don't like the smell of them. And so you decide you're just not going to use them. Okay, you now have two choices. A, to not use anything in hoodoo, root work, conjure, that has those five Asiatic grasses in them even going to start 
making a list on air of all the things that go out the goddamn door. But let's just leave it at this. Bye-bye, Van Van. So you're just not going to do anything in Hoodoo that has to do with those things. Boom, it's all gone. Or, oh, Lord help us, or you're going to replace them with something. Something that clearly doesn't smell of citrus because you don't like that smell. Can you do that? Yes, of course you can do that. There's no hoodoo pope. There's no hoodoo police. This is America. Everybody does what they want to do. But you're no longer doing a hoodoo because you've decided to anoint amulets, charms, silver dimes with vanilla, with the fragrant scent of fresh linen as produced by Glade, with Old Spice roll-on deodorant, whatever, because you like it better. It's gone. You're no longer doing hoodoo. The same situation lays before your feet in terms of the Bible. You can either not do anything that involves it. Okay, that's fine. That's your choice. And you've just decided to, you know, take... 50 to 75% of any work that you could have done and just not do it. Or you're going to leave it out. See, because you're not going to necessarily replace it. We'll come to that in a minute. You're just going to leave it out. I don't have to say that. So that's worse. I mean, as horrible as, you know, having uh, silver dimes and and mojo bags and things that smelled of Old old Spice roll-on underarm deodorant would be, this is worse. This is, there's no smell at all. I'm just going to leave out that part. Obviously, beseeching some higher power or using the Bible's spiritual power as a grimoire or as a text or whatever, or the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's just not important. So, out it goes. So, there it goes. Boom, gone. So, that's my first answer. My second answer is people ask this because they want to supplant it with something else. They want to take the Bible out, and they want to put something else in. Some of these people are doing this out of a very genuine place, meaning they, they, you know, they, oh, as an example, they're Muslim. They want to use the Quran. They're Buddhist. They want to use a Buddhist text. They want to use the Bhagavad Gita. You know, ah, ah, someone beat me to it. Yes, the Bhagavad Gita. So, here's a problem. Let's look at this a minute. Could you do this? I'm not going to be so arrogant as to say that you couldn't. You might be able to. I mean, in all honesty. In all honesty, you really might be able to, but you're going to need a few things. First of all, you're going to need to not be, double negative, a casual member of that religion. 
I mean, you need to be very goddamn serious about that religion and have a deep and abiding understanding of its tenets, of its text, of its dogma, the whole nine yards. Because you've got to replace out an equivalent, you see? And it's not going to be easy at all. There may not be an equivalent. That's not to say that Christianity is some special little thing and it has the truth and nobody else does. I mean, there just may not be an equivalent spoken in the same manner. So if you're not, like, really super into this particular spiritual path, whatever it is, you're opening yourself up for, uh, you know, 50 miles of bad road. Because you just can't quite get there. Let's take the Quran as one example. I will take the Quran because I actually think it's the best example. And I'll explain to you why. The Quran will match up with a good deal in many places with the quote-unquote Old Testament. The Torah, the Tanakh. There will be a lot of matchups there. There will still be a difference in idiom, a difference in speech, a difference in meaning, but we've still got a lot of the same figures. We've still got a lot of the same people. You know, here's Moses, okay, etc. But when you come, and so, you know, if you're only doing Old Testament work, you might be able, I mean, I guess if you really just need to beat your head against a, a brick, you might be able to kind of find the equivalency that you need. But when you come to the New Testament, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when there's this thing you're supposed to say and pray in this spell that comes out of oh, the book of Matthew? What are you going to do? Because it's not going to be in your Quran. You're going to have to find an equivalent. And when I say you're going to have to find an equivalent, I really mean it. I mean an equal. Okay? Because you've got to also understand your hoodoo perfectly. So now you've got to understand hoodoo with an absolute level of depth, and you've got to understand your Quran with an absolute level of depth to find the two. Okay? To find the two things. Because if you don't understand why the person who wrote out the work or taught the work, used that piece of scripture from the Bible, then how can you find an equivalent? Problem becomes interpretation. I think this is about, but you don't know, you think. You think it's about whatever because it's a prayer and it says this and that's uplifting. So you just go and get something uplifting out of the Quran as an example. But actually... It had nothing to do with being uplifting at all. It had to do with the fact that that piece of Scripture mentions sandals. That piece of Scripture mentions tripping on a rock. That piece of Scripture mentions poisoners. And now you've missed it. You've lost it. So first, you damn well better be an expert in whatever religious text you want to supplant. And second of all, you damn well better be an expert in your understanding of the piece of hoodoo that you're trying to make something new for. 
And at the end of the day, you're still not doing a hoodoo. You're doing something new, something else. I'm not here to tell you not to do that. You might have great success. You might be the mother or father of a whole new school of magic. And why not? There are Muslim Americans. They're here. They're a part of the American experience. They have a folk magic tradition that's going to get involved with the American folk magic tradition in all of its ways. There can be a synthesis by all means. But it's not hoodoo. It's something else. And you need to say that. Must I use the Bible? Well, only if you're intending to do hoodoo. Only if you're intending to do hoodoo. And if you're not, it's all free and easy. You can do whatever you want. Well, then carry on. You know, do your thing. The other thing that you need to consider is this. There may literally be no equivalent. And I don't mean equivalency of spirit or equivalency of intention. I mean there may be no cultural equivalent. The further you go with this religious text that you want to supplant in the hoodoo, from the normal, everyday, spiritual experiences and life experiences of who? Of African-American people brought, kidnapped, enslaved, chained, brought in bondage to America, where they met Native Americans, etc., 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 to bring about hoodoo. And the further you get away from that experience, the less you're doing hoodoo and the more you're doing something else. Should you not do something else, do something else. Be my, be my guest. And, and if you're going to do something else, do it as – just do it. I mean do it as with every particle of your being. Make it the best thing you can do. Work hard, but don't call it hoodoo. If you said to me, must I use hot chilies in Tex-Mex cooking, the answer would be the same. You know, I have to, but it's not Tex-Mex anymore. I don't call it that. And I really don't want to have any of your salsa, thank you, but do whatever you want to do. Now, people will inevitably make comparisons. They will inevitably say, oh, but there's this difference, and there's that difference, and there's this thing, and there's that thing. And the point is, yes, but those are variations. They primarily use tomatillo or green chilies in New Mexico. And it's not Tex-Mex. It's called New Mex-Mex. It's a completely different style of cooking. There are vast similarities, but there are vast differences. And so it's the same thing. Must I use must I use the Bible? Only only if you intend to do hoodoo. So there's your answer to the question of the evening. Up next, we're gonna go into the kitchen where we're going to be talking about vandal root. If I can if I can find um 
huh, if I can find a, there's a little, on the board here, there's a little, there's a handle that we switch here on the board to move into a new segment to play music, but somebody, Johnny, have you seen the handle? Looks like somebody stole it. Something you did, God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway, looking for a new friend. A man in a coonskin cap in a pig pen wants eleven dollar bills. You only got ten. Man, get comes fleet foot, face full of black soot, talking at the heat, put plants in the bed, but the phone's tapped anyway. Maggie says the man is it must bust an early man. Orders from the DA, look out, kid. But walk on your tiptoes, don't tie no bows Better stay away from those that carry around a fire hose Keep a clean nose, wash the clean clothes You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows Oh, get sick, get well, hang around the inkwell Hang the bell, hard to tell if anything is gonna tell Try hard, get boxed, get back, ride trail Get jailed, jump bail, join the army if you fail Look out, kid you're gonna get hit by losers, cheaters, six-time users, hanging round the theaters. Girls by the whirlpools looking for a new fool. Don't follow leaders or watch your parking meters. Oh, get born, keep warm, short pants, romance. Learn to dance, get dressed, get blessed. Tired of these success. Please her, please him. Buy gifts, don't steal, don't lift. Twenty years of schooling and they put you on the day shift. Look out, kid, they keep it all hit. Better jump down a manhole, like yourself a candle. Don't wear sandals, try to force the scandals. Don't want to be a bum, you better chew gum. The pumps don't work, cause the vandals took the handle. Oh, yes, that was, of course, Bob Dylan with the Subterranean Homesick Blues and many, many, many cookies to Miss Catherine Ironwood for not only first identifying the artist and the song in the name it and claim it, but for also playing the part of Mr. Dylan in the chat room with uh, the flipping of the cards. And by the way, uh, the gentleman in the back wearing the kippah and the prayer shawl portraying Allen Ginsberg was myself. Tonight in the kitchen, we're going to be talking about woof, woof, vandal root. This is a, uh, this is a, this is a odiferous, odiferous little root. It has a potent, potent smell to it, and if you've ever smelled it, you will remember it, and you'll always be able to identify it again. Although, everyone says it smells a bit differently, meaning people and their sense of smells, which is associated to a sense of memory, 
interpret smells differently, meaning what they say it smells like. Oh, this smells like that. This smells like so-and-so. I, myself, uh, have always detected in vandal root the smell of cat urine. It smells like very, 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 very strong, somewhat rank cat urine to me. It may be a different association for you. Vandal root has an interesting sort of a situation with it because it has a dual reputation. It has a reputation for evil and evil use, but also for protection. So it sort of straddles these two lines. And that's not too hard to understand. Again, when we come back, scent. That is a part of why we have discussed its scent. Because it does have an overlay. This strong scent and how people respond to it will show you that it can be used both for kind of harmful work and also for protective work, just like asafoetida, devil's dung. What can we use vandal root for? Well, you can use it to jinx an enemy. That's right. How? Well, you burn vandal root with black arts incense next to a black candle on which you have carved your enemy's name with a coffin nail. Place their picture or name paper face down under the candle and hide the vandal root in their car so that they'll have a wreck or have bad luck with the car. Burning vandal root is even more odiferous than laying around doing nothing vandal root. But now let's go to the other side. You can use vandal root for uncrossing. On the basis that like fights like, people who have been crossed add vandal root to uncrossing incense and burn it alongside a reversing candle and thus send back the jinxes to those who place them on them. So again, here's that scent. You can use vandal root to stop an unwanted visitor. All you would do is sprinkle vandal root across your front steps, calling the person's name and commanding that he or she be unable to cross over. And if you wanted to make that a little stronger, you would add black pepper and salt to the vandal root. You know, it sounds pretty good to me. The scent alone is enough to keep most people away. But then, interestingly enough, in terms of this being such a strong scent that people have such varied responses to, you can use vandal root to stop marital fighting. That's right. Wrap vandal root and a picture of you and your spouse in brown paper and carry this packet for three days. Then take out the vandal root and throw it into running water to take the fighting away. Replace the vandal root that you've taken and thrown away with lovage root and keep that with the picture thereafter. So there's a little bit that you can do with vandal root. You probably also 
will be interested to know, if you didn't already, that Vandal Root is also Valerian, and that under that name, this thing that we're talking about that has this oh, smell is a very popular nerve-calming tea. So, again, this goes back to what I was talking about in the Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery. You may not like the scent of vandal root. You may find it abhorrent. But if you want to use it, you can't then not use it. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to replace it with something else, and it'll be the same. It won't be the same. It might be still effective. You know, I don't know why you don't like vandal root, but you like devil's dung. But hey, you know, whatever. The point is that there are multiple layers to this. Layers of senses, sight, touch, taste, smell, thinking, intent, place, context of culture, context of time, context of the situation of, as one example, oppression, of a hope for freedom. This is all in the pot together, folks. It's all in there. And you might enjoy the rice more in the gumbo than the rest of it, or you might enjoy the okra more, or the little bits of crab, or chicken, or sausage, or tomatoes, or onions, or the white wine. Oh, we're going to put some white wine in the gumbo today. You might enjoy those things individually. And that might be part of why you like gumbo. But that's not gumbo. That's a part of gumbo. And you might dislike part of the gumbo. might hate okra. might not want shrimp in your gumbo. But you can't take the okra out of gumbo and it still be gumbo. It becomes something else. And so just like you may find – ah, Miss Cat just said it. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Cat. Yes, my point exactly, she's already there. You might find it abhorrent, just like the Bible, but there's no substitute for it. So, if you don't like okra, don't eat gumbo. And if you want to eat gumbo and you want to make gumbo and you want to serve gumbo and you want to sell gumbo, then I'm damn sure better make sure that there's okra in it and some ground sassafras leaves for the top. That's your filet. Our information for the In the Kitchen section comes to us each and every week from our own knowledge and Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic, a Materia Magica of African American Conjure by Miss Catherine Ironwood, and we thank her for its use and inclusion in the show. Well, looks to me like the old uh, clock on the wall. It's pretty much time for me to be moseying on. I just have to say it's been great to be back with you all this week. Johnny already left. Went out of here like a bullet. That that woman. That woman. I'm telling you. That woman. That woman. She was here. I saw her. I saw her. She picked him up again. Oh, yeah. Johnny said something earlier about the fact they were going to go to Texas Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. Going to go honky-tonk. Yeah. Uh-huh. No idea who she is. Nobody knows. 
Nobody knows. Nobody knows at all. We'll try and find out, bring you the skinny on that. But uh, let me just tell you about uh, another little bit of Lashon Hara here, a little, little, little bit of gossip for your ears. I have it on good authority, very, very, very good authority, that three weeks ago, three weeks ago, our own Miss Loretta Evans and, I kid you not, Count Goulash were seen together, were seen together outside of the local theater here. The look, it's an old, uh, it's an old movie theater. They converted it to a regular theater here on the historic square here in Denton, Texas, and they were seen leaving the theater hand in hand. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Love is in the air. Well, hmm. they're all gone. I mean, that's it. Then Johnny's gone. Miss Loretta's gone. Boy, I hope crazy Uncle Ed's gone. It's just, just me here alone. Had to turn off the board, shut off the lights. I guess this is it. I guess. This is the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Only Fordwell, Texas, and Gould, Texas, Cattle, and don't back to Fordwell. Come on down to Dallas, King Kong, Kitty. Coming through the territory in Kansas City, and Kansas City, St. Louis, and St. Louis, Chicago. I'm on my way, but I'm doing well. Chain cars on the TP, leaving Fort Worth, Texas, going to Dallas. Hotel, Grand Sling, Silver Lake, Mineola, Tyler, Longview, Joseph, Marshall, Little Sander, Big Sandy, Texacano, and Double Badger Forward. Got 